Welcome, human singular listener, something or other. That joke's old now. Welcome to the Good Media Podcast. In this podcast, we talk about sin, temptation, salvation, how to get there. My name is Jeremiah Schuler, and today in the podcast room, we have my brother, Devante. And yes, that joke is done. <laughs> and my other brother, hey, it's Johnny, and Chance on keys i don't know why you keep calling it keys it's more knobs i know i was like oh wait is it a piano sitting in this podcast room i don't really play piano okay okay okay. i just like playing jazz and i played jazz for like six years and like i don't know he wants you to get a piano that's actually uh, well i mean segueing into jazz i actually i teach the younger jazz band at the high school now so that's a thing that's happened full time Uh, yeah well i mean do you yell at them the way that that guy did in that movie Oh, my, Whiplash? Is that I the only whiplash. way to produce musicians? My jazz I, I do not, <laughs> I do not throw chairs you, at my students. I don't, not really. Not really. I just wonder how Chance would be as a jazz teacher, though. Now I'm looking over him like, hmm. I, yeah, you're trying to picture me throwing a chair <laughs> yeah. at my student. It's <laughs> not going to happen. <laughs> no, yeah. I did, I watched This week I watched um, a documentary on Bill Cosby. Oh, yeah. You were telling me about yeah, this. Yeah. So I, if you guys don't know, I just pick a show that I just sit down and just like I watch. Like I don't watch different uh, a variety of shows. I'll just pick... A long like sitcom, and I just watch all episodes of the sitcom. So I've been watching the Cosby Show, um, and I just find out that I, I feel like me as a dad would be. You're a dad. Well, if I was a dad, like if I when I when I become a dad, I'd be similar to Bill Cosby, but not well, but not like oh. no, not see that's the thing, not like Bill Cosby, like not Bill Cosby, the as character the Bill Cosby, but like TV show, but like like Cliff Hoxtable. Oh, okay, from the actual Cosby Show, I feel like I'd be like so. I said. Let me look into the documentary of this guy. What's going mm-hmm. on? You know, I've heard some news. I've followed it around, but I haven't really got into it. I kind of listened to what was going on. and just like, it's so sad, man. It's just so sad what went down. Like, I feel kind of, like, I don't know. I just, like, you watch his, you watch the, the Cosby Show, you see how funny it is, how they portray a progressive movement in that time. You know, a black family with a doctor and lawyer and kids and bringing up kids and stuff like that. It was just, it was just like, it looks... Really presentable. So to see that, and when I was growing up, there was a there was a show that came on Nick Jr. called Little Bill, and it was by him as well. And so it's just like, and then you you listen to this all this documentary, and it's just like I don't know. It's just it's sad. It's just really sad to see that this icon, you know, the the the, the name of the documentary was the fall of a great American, and I just feel like so wow. it's, it came out post um, him getting convicted. Yeah. So it's just like a fall of a great American. It's just like wow. Like he did so much great things. You know he. Give millions of dollars to schools, but yeah, yes, some people have a corrupt side behind them. And I gotta say, when I was a kid, I grew up watching old TV shows because we had VHS tapes and no cable out wherever in the middle of nowhere where we lived. And I watched the Bill Cosby Show growing up as a kid, and I was like, yeah, he's he's a real good, you know, five five out of five, out of five dude on that TV show, right? So, so many years later. Hearing about that news is terrible. It's yeah, real bad. It's just, I don't know, man. It just rubs you the wrong way, you know? Just put sand. It put like a sandpaper on your buttocks, you know? Just rub it. It just makes you rub you the wrong way. It's like, eh. It's, I don't know. It's one of those things. It's good news in the way that, yes, someone who was a criminal was caught and they're going to answer yeah, for, for their sure. crimes. I think there's no way, there's no getting around it. He's a, he's a, I think he's a bad person. Yeah. Right? I don't, like, it's so many people and so many people who are vulnerable and so many people in, like, easy positions to take advantage of them that he did but i don't understand how you could do that and also convince everyone that you're just you know the person that we thought he was before the convictions 
Yeah. I, you know? I kind of like the way that uh, Sarah Silverman addressed the Louis C.K. situation, mm-hmm. where they were friends um, outside of, you know, the comedy realm. And what Sarah Silverman said about Louis C.K. is, you know, I love him. I appreciate what he's done. Um, and And even though he's like, I love him, but he's done a bad thing. That is, does that mean that you stop loving that person for what they've done before that? Or does it all just get flushed away with, you know, the, the conviction of, you know, both Louis C.K. and Bill Cosby? Does that all, does all the things that they've done for society, does all the good just get wiped away because of the one thing? And that's what I struggle with. I think that that's a good question. And let me show you why I think that's a good question. It's because all the millions he poured into black education and all these different things, not... It hurts my heart that now my mind is skewed against that. No, I don't think that they should go away. I think that he's done good things. And I, I, although I believe, I agree with you, Johnny, he's, this is ridiculous, horrible. I praise him for the good things that he did. I, I, I'd say that, good job. Good job giving millions to people for scholarships or whatever you gave those millions for. But that doesn't justify what he did, though. I'm not going to say he made a good Cosby show. It caused racial reconciliation in some areas. Um, uh, he, he gave all these millions and sent uh, blacks went to school. Some blacks went to school because of that. Yada, yada, yada. And I'm not going to say, well, since he did all that, he's justified for doing this. No, I don't justify by no means. And I think that he should, he should serve the consequence for his actions. Um, I'm not saying that that justifies like the previous works justified. I'm, I'm just wondering, um, does all the good just get washed away? Do we stop celebrating his accomplishments just because of the one, or well, in this case, like I don't even know how many it's like convictions, or something like that. some ridiculous number. Does it all? Does all of the good that he's done just get wiped away? No, I just that's what I read about this. This is what I was listening to this week. But I, it just reminds me of something. And I, I know I like to take. Let's take it back to the Bible. I trying to think about like, yeah, David and Bathsheba's story, and we look. Here's what we think about David, David and Goliath. You know, he had enough faith in God and he'll give him the power to defeat this giant. Is a God there's a man after God's own heart, the king. Jesus will come through the lineage of David. David in 2 Samuel 11, um, it's, it's depending on how you read the story, and I I personally how I read the story, I'm gonna share my, my view of the story, but it seems to me that David knew, I would say, knew that a woman was gonna be on this roof, um, because he He's a king, and he knows that. He sent his men out to get her, and what I would argue rapes her. I think it's rape. I think mentally, emotionally, David has the power as king to kind of rape this lady and then go ahead and murder her husband, and then we still look at David as the great. I mean, our savior came through his lineage, God, a man after God's own heart. So we, we... isn't those things horrible? <laughs> like if yeah, someone today was yeah. to do that, but what would be the diff? What's the difference? Everybody's in quiet. It's repentance. David then later on, about a year later after the sin, repents of the sin, and you have the Psalm fifty-one. You see, there's repentance and this crying out of God, crying out to God because of the sin he did with Bathsheba. And as a Christian community, we look at that and we see that. This guy did a horrible thing, but turned to God and towards repentance. So we look at that as a difference. So what? how would I look at Bill Cosby? No, we don't throw away all of his good things. But why look at him exactly still as a horrible guy? Because I hear, I hear no repentance, in a, per se. I don't hear like, I mean, like, I don't see no, no remorse for what's going on. 
So that's my little five cents of this whole thing. So this week, when I was trying to come up with a topic for, uh, for the podcast, I come up with some questions. One of the questions I had for Devante while at the retreat was sort of concerning about sin and how people fight sin. All right, so um, first question, and I guess kind of the overarching one, why do we sin? And why does that separate us from God? Personally, I believe we sin because at the core of our nature, when we look at who we are as individuals, um, when we look at at the core of our hearts, inside of us, down to the dirty crumbs of it, without God, what we are is totally deprived by sin. Luther put it this way. Martin Luther says it this way. It's the bondage of the will. Sin has a hold on us that we are, we, like, there's no freedom from that. We're slave to sin. Hence the reason we do that. We are, we are in sin. We, we, our whole lives are dictated outside of, of a Christ. Now I'm talking about an unbeliever, dictated by sin. It's all that we are. And we back that back up to the fall, Genesis 3. This 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 for, this forbidden fruit that that the the our what I would say our ancestors or our representatives took part in opened the door up for us to be in bondage to sin. That's the reason we sin because from the from the nature of us unbeliever believer. Why does a believer fin, sin? Because the nature of sin is still wrestling inside of us. So our hearts are deceitful still. Although we are filled with the Holy Spirit, we now have a live, the living God inside of us. Our sin still is at work. It's still doing, it's still wrestling against the, the spirit inside of us for, for, for victory. Sin still wants to have victory. So no, sin can't win anymore. It can't give you eternal damnation because God now has control. You're not a slave to it anymore, but it can still work in your life to bring destruction to your earthly life. I believe that sin can 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 destroy you earthly. It can it can cause really bad things. I mean, I, I'm talking about true believers can do really, really bad things because of sin. And so... That's my question about why we sin. It's because of the nature that but that was birthed from the fall and now that we have we have now. At the very heart of human nature is sin. How can we be accountable for sin? I don't blame water for being wet. So why would you blame blame a person whose sinful nature is sin? Because our own sin is our own fault. If let me give you an example. Let me give you an example. Mm-hmm. If water had the choice to not be wet, it would still want to. Oh, that was deep for you. Let me back that up again. <laughs> wait, wait, wait. wait, wait. <laughs> why why, would, it, why so would it want to be dry? Yeah. It, huh? Why yeah. would it want to be dry? Exactly. Because of its nature, right? It would want that. It would want to continue to be wet. But would you blame it for that? Yes, because it was their choice. It's water's choice to be wet. Same thing with our sin. If you let's back it up a bit. In our own nature, without, an, a, without a, divine, a divine work inside of us, we want... To continue to sin. We desire that. Out from the heart is what these things come from. We, in our own core being, want to sin. So Chance asks the question, why would water want to be dry? Why would an unbeliever want to be a believer? Only by the work, I would, I would say personally, only by a work of the Holy Spirit that could bring that unbeliever towards repentance. You see what I'm saying? So what you're saying is, 
we weren't good people, you know, affected by sin, and now we need to be saved. We are just bad people who can be saved. Do some people just naturally have the willpower to overcome sin in a way that other people don't? If one person sins way more than the other, what's the difference? Okay, let's let's back this up. Blah, 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 blah. <laughs> Every sin done, you can go to hell for. I think I talked to you about this. Why I think that the levels of sin kind of doesn't matter in a sense. Because if Johnny lies and Devante goes and kills someone, God looks at both of them and says that's damnable to hell. Regardless. So when you said that the will, someone has the more of a willpower to stop sinning, um, what do you like? You do you mean they just they don't they don't they don't cheat on their wives, they don't kill people, they don't steal from people, but this person over here does all that? Because actually, this is what I this is what I would say. I believe, and this can, this is probably gonna blow our viewers' mind, and everybody's gonna call this guy a heretic and all these different things. But I believe there could be true believers out there that sleep with someone other than their wives. Probably killed someone, and yeah, they have to be very careful here, and even steal something. And I believe that there's people who are not believers, who have never killed someone, have never sleep on their wives, have never steal anything. So what what makes that person? They, they this person has a small a stronger willpower per se to not do those things, but this part this person is more weaker. What make, what's the difference? Let's look at this text. Let's let's look at the, Matthew fifteen. And I think actually, yeah, I, I don't know if you had this up. I think you, Mark. I think Mark has the parallel passage to this. But Jesus is talking about what defiles a man, you know. And it it, it talks about like and Matthew fifteen is where I went. I think you went to Mark nine. Okay, uh, Mark seven. Mark Mark seven. Yeah. Okay. And so, um, but it, it, Jesus is talking about what what kind of defiles a man. He's saying what goes into the bodies, what the, not, not not what doesn't like what messes a man up. It's not what goes inside. It's not the food. It goes in him and it passes right out. But it comes from the heart. Man, it comes from it comes from what's inside. And he says here, um, Jesus is talking to the disciples, you know, it, G- Peter told them to explain the parable. He just gave the parable about the food. And, he, and, and so Matthew 15, 16, it says this. Are, are you still so dull? Jesus asked them. Don't you see that whatever enters the mouth goes into the stomach and then out of the body? But the things that come out of a person's mouth come from the heart. And these defile them. Um, for out of the heart comes evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false testimony, slander. These are what defiles a person, but not eating with unwashed hands. That doesn't defile the person. And so these external things that we try to do, we try to like, I don't, I would not sleep with somebody, but I intent i still look at a woman with lust remember what jesus did with the, with the pharisees who who claim the same things well i have the willpower that i don't sleep with nobody else i have the willpower that i don't kill my my brother you know i don't i have the willpower that i don't steal for my brother but jesus said you oh oh you do <laughs> you 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 got this let me show you something if you even look at a woman with lust if you if you even hate your brother in his heart you're already murdered and i would even go on to say if you even covered your brother's stuff, if I look at Jeremiah's car and say, I want that, he shouldn't have that, I covered that, I'm already stealing from my brother. That's how hard the law is. So when you talk about willpower, I want you to break that down for me before we get into that. Like, like help me out when you say the willpower. Because we can have a, a lot of willpower based upon fear, not, not the power of the Holy Spirit. Just fear will keep me from putting my hand on the next man's wife. All right, so this is, what, this is, the, this is the reason I asked this question. I'm talking post-salvation. You're talking, talking about the believer then. Somebody has been saved 
right? They have a relationship with God and can identify that they're a sinner. But how come some people do it easier than others? For you to, to answer a little bit of your question there, as when you talk about willpower in a believer. So now you clarify a bit for me. In the believer's life, you're looking at the believer, you say, you say you're a believer, you're, you're a child of God. Why in the body of Christ, you're talking about the covenant community now, you're talking about everybody who is a true believer, a part of the universal church. Why, why is that person, why is it like easier for some, and it seems like some have a stronger power to fight than others? But I'm, I'm gonna I'm gonna go like I'm, I'm gonna try and do this in like a three part thing. Um, so bear with me here. Um, and the first thing I'm gonna say is uh, I'm gonna go with the thorn in the flesh. Paul talks a little bit about a thorn in his flesh in in in, in Second Corinthians. Um, and he talk. It seems like he's talking about a struggle that's going on. The first part I'm gonna use is to show that there's some struggles in a believer's life that other believers don't have. There's some things that is a thorn in the flesh for Devante that's not a thorn in the flesh. For Johnny, mm-hmm. and I and I I think this is why I'm going to show you why I think God allows these thorns in the flesh. So Paul talks about the thorn in the flesh, and he said that he prays three times, and God doesn't remove the uh, the thorn out of his flesh. Um, and so let's let me just read. Can I just read it? Um, here. Go ahead. Go ahead. Um, go ahead. Yeah. So Second Corinthians twelve. And I'm going to start in verse six. Twelve. Uh, Second Corinthians twelve verse six says this: Even if I should choose to boast, I would be a fool. Because I would be speaking, I would be speaking the truth, but I refrain so that no one will think more of me than is warranted to what I do or say. So though Paul could be a, he could boast about the things that he's doing in Christ, he could boast about it. He doesn't want to make it seem like he's more than what he actually is. Um, and I'm gonna get to a little bit to that. He says, or because of these surpassing great revelations, therefore, in order to keep me from being conceited, I was given a thorn in my flesh, a messenger of Satan to torment me. Ooh, listen to what's going on here. So Paul is saying to keep him humble so God can keep him in a place of humility, it seems like. The, 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 almost allowed Satan to come and torment him, to come and give this thorn in his flesh. He said, three times I plead with the Lord to take it away from me, but he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in your weakness. Therefore, I will boast I will boast all the more gladly in my weakness so that Christ's power may rest on me. Listen to what Paul is saying. Paul is saying pretty much this. When I am weak, when in my weakness, when, 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 because the thorn is in my flesh, I could give glory to Christ in my weakness because Christ is being, being made strong. So in my thorn in my flesh, in Devante's thorn or whatever Devante struggle with, when I'm weak, I give glory to God because he is strong through my thorn. And that's why sometimes I believe it looks different for believers. Because I think that thorn can be different. That thorn can be for Devante, really putting him in a hard time in ministry and not elevating himself to be a big, big person so that he can be weak and he can be downsized so that God can be glorified. That might look different for Johnny, though. Is the thorn temptation or sin? So that's that's the big question, right? Is it? It seems like this is it's torment. It's like more of a temptation because it says torment me. Um, and so it seems like it's a temptation. It's a hard thing. What, 
Paul doesn't never confess or not if he ever fell into this what this torment is. Is he ever made a mistake in it? But I believe that believers do sometimes fall into the, the thing that's tormenting them. But I believe that it's more is more of a temptation that is beating on a believer's life. And you see a believer wrestling and struggling with this temptation. You see a believer really fighting for this. And who's getting the glory from this? What makes the believer persevere through this? It's the faith given by Christ. So you have that first believer. That's the first section, right? With that first person. The second person, right? The second section of this. The second thing of why does a person look more willful than the other person? I say being distant from God. Some believers don't pursue their relationship with Jesus. Some believers are stagnant in their relationship, coasting. And what happens? They tend to fall into sin. They become, they become not constant in fighting their sin. So what you're saying is because of a Christian's weakness in getting closer to God, temptation is, is, is it's easier for them to fall exactly. into. Exactly. I feel like it's more easy for a person to be to fall into temptation or to or to be when they're being tested to give in to give in um, to the test. Let's look at James one, right? James one kind of talks about the, the being tested, letting your faith be tested and all these different things. And I think that it's when a believer is tested, um, and they're not in they're not striving for Christ. They're not actually in their word. They're not praying. They're not having communion with Christ. They're not in fellowship with believers. Um, they tend to fall because they're not in that community that God placed them in. Is it possible to eliminate temptation? I don't, I don't think so. Because it says in the Bible, this is, this is where this comes from. It says in the Bible that Jesus was tempted in all the ways that we yeah. were tempted, right? So, And Jesus is, by definition, perfect. Yeah. Right? He's, he's our yardstick for what perfect is. And he was tempted. Right. So we know based on that that we can't eliminate temptation from our lives. We will always be tempted. Yeah. Maybe not in heaven, but on earth right now, we know for sure we will always be tempted. Why do some people fall into temptation and others don't? I think the, the perfect example would be if we look at Jesus and how he dealt with temptation. The first thing that he, well, he did, he did two distinctive things when it comes to temptation. He told temptation, right? that temptation doesn't have the power over him, that sin doesn't have power over him, right? And that God, the creator of everything, will provide for him and protect him, right? So he took away power from sin and then gave power to God. All we can say about temptation is, one, everybody's tempted, and it seems like the people who get through temptation is the people that perseveres through Christ, and so, uh, I just had it pulled up here. Where did I put it? Mm -mm. Oh, okay. So, yeah. It says that when you are tempted, no one should say, God has tempted me for God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. But each person is tempted when they are dragged away by their own evil desires and enticed. Then, after desires has convinced, it gives birth to sin. And sin, when it's fully grown, gives birth to death. So, our tempt so when you're being tempted... It seems like it's only us in our own sinful nature that gives into our temptation. And the Bible kind of answers that for us. And then temptation then leads on to sin, and sin then leads on to, to death. So you're saying we need to fight our own nature? Pretty much. We, the, the point of... That's a tall task. That Not is. Really, that's what God calls us to do. Exactly. So yeah, that's what he calls us to do. Though. That doesn't make it easy. Exactly. I don't well, think well, it's nobody's easy. Making I don't think it's easy. easy. I don't think it's easy. It's incredibly hard. I think it kind of goes to the community that you surround yourself with. The phrase, you are the average of your friends. One of the things that I've really come to appreciate over my, my spiritual journey is fellowship. 
and not just fellowship, positive fellowship. Iron sharpens iron. Going to Bible studies, going to church, going to small group, getting involved outside of just the Sunday service. Being constantly in the Word makes it easier to say no to temptation. Like if you know, oh yeah, that might cause me 10 seconds of pleasure, but I know it's wrong. It's easier to say no when you just got done um, like making a podcast than it is just having like a whole week to yourself, just getting home from work and just kind of by yourself, not really talking to anybody, but thriving in that, in that community and that strong, healthy community, I think sets you up for better success. Now I'm not saying that people with, with crappy situations, that's justifying poor actions. I'm not saying that at all. I'm not endorsing that. That's like, you can, you can do it. Let me offer you some encouragement. If you're listening to this podcast, you can do it. You can say no to whatever it is that you know you shouldn't be doing. You can say no. You always have that choice. But it is easier when you're encouraged and you just came off being encouraged to say no. So you can help yourself by setting yourself up around good people, around good fellowship to help make that decision easier. So, but what are you doing in those situations, those things you list, being in good fellowship, going to Bible studies, making a podcast, what are you doing specifically in those situations that are separating you or giving you the ability to fight temptation? Uh, just encouraging each other, talking about everyday struggles. Like uh, I actually just had a life group before I came over here to record this awesome podcast with you guys. We opened it up with kind of checking in on each other. Like, hey, how have you been the last week? Being able to open up and being able to be real with people is so valuable, is so precious. We talk about our own struggles and how we've overcome and how we've overcome may be different from people to people, but it's still encouraging to hear that and to be surrounded by a loving community and a community that you can be honest with and totally open with. That's amazing. And the fact that we have that ability to talk with God who knows every little part of us knows our heart is awesome. And we can get that encouragement from being totally open with our creator. What is it? What does it make you think about what you're doing when you are in fellowship with other people that, because we, like I said, we went, we went on, we went on the retreat mm-hmm. and went on the retreat. People get a Christian high from it. As oh people yeah. Call it, right. I love hate Christian highs, right? It's, it's the best worst feeling. My, my issue with it, right? My issue with a lot of the times when people go to a Christian concert or they go to a, a retreat or something like that, they come back and they feel so empowered and connected to God. And then it goes nowhere. Because and the fellowship discontinues. In those moments, does that mean that's manufactured? Something they did made them feel connected to God, and then it went away. It went away because I believe the fellowship and the same kind of fellowship went away. My first spiritual high came from a crew conference in the winter. Um, I had never been around maybe more than 15 people my age that believed the same thing I did. Um, there were pff, upwards of 500 university students there, all just on fire, asking questions, going to seminars with really, really good speakers, talking about the toughest questions that maybe we didn't even think about. And just the amount of love and support in that community was just on fire. I had never felt more connected with God, with 
the Holy Spirit. It was amazing. And on the drive back, we had three school vans. One of the vans in the back, the driver fell asleep at the wheel and slammed into a uh, semi-truck hauling some cars. And the door was banged up really bad, but everybody was okay, thank God. Side note to the story, we uh, we had to pull over and um, there was no gas station around at the nearest exit, but there was a pot shop. So here we are with two university vans outside a pot shop <laughs> in Colorado. And it was, we kept that spiritual high through that though. But after that, I got back and I got back into the same fellowship that I started with non-believers. I was surrounded by non-believers who, you know, lived a different lifestyle than what I had just experienced for the last week, which was intense Christian fellowship all the time, 24-7, 100% all in, like accountability galore. And then we go back to, I can describe as a spiritual wasteland. And it was the most depressing thing I had ever witnessed because I looked at every single one of my friends and I questioned whether or not I would see them later, if you catch my drift. And it was terrifying and I hated it. I loved that spiritual high. I loved the connection that I formed. I loved the feelings that I felt. I love the connection to the Holy Spirit, to my friends. And then I came back and I went down from that and I jumped off that spiritual eye and it sucked. It was the worst. That kind of gets to what I was thinking about, right? People go and they they go to events and things like that. They do something. It's like spiritual food. Yeah, they, they, they do a thing and then suddenly they feel the need to be convicted and read the Bible more and, and all this, right? This is my question. Conviction leads to not sinning, leads to changing from being bad in a super simplified version. How come it takes doing a physical thing to get convicted? That's How come the Holy kinda, Spirit doesn't just go, boom, conviction? That's why I kind of think um, my point about having that personal relationship and, and finding that community with God through yourself. Because it, I mean, you, you can do all you want. You can go to the conferences, you can do whatever. But if you're not personally motivated, if you're not personally touched, if you're not personally convicted, you're not going to do anything for yourself. You're going to rely solely on that community. But it's it's when you find that community within and you find that relationship in one-on-one with God that you're really going to make a concerted effort to go and, and lead a different life, to go and make um, ethically different decisions. I think the reason why we don't have that fire that's in us all the time, at least I, mean, I think there's some who really genuinely do. They, they have this constant drive, right? That God has given them is because a lot of us stand still. I use this analogy of like a pond all the time. Some of us are just takers, right? So we're a pond and we're stacking it, right? And we just keep taking in water and we keep taking in water. And over time, that pond's growing, but over time, that water's going to stagnate, right? Because it already has stagnant water inside of it. So we need an outflow. And that outflow might be something like sharing the gospel, sharing what you know, right? Participating in making fishers of men, right? We have to create that cycle. We have to take in and give out. And we can see the same things that are kind of like applicable uh, to other things not related to the Bible as well, right? The same concepts kind of like they cross over in a lot of ways. It might just be a simple fact of maybe God's not your passion, and that's something you have to work on. If you're not thinking about like God every day, if you're not really thinking about 
reaching out to other people and saving other people, then God really isn't your number one passion and other things are replacing it. That's kind of like harsh, but that's also 100% the truth. We think about our passions all the time, like nonstop. Like I think about business like every day, every single day. And now I'm getting to the point where I think about God like every single day. And that's awesome. And that's becoming more and more and more and more of my passion. So I think that's the hardcore, simple truth of it and the reality of it is if they, you're not always feeling that burning, living fire within you. I mean, we have down days, well, of course. But maybe it's just not your number one passion in your life. And you have to identify that to actually kind of work towards that. And you're only going to be doing that if you actually work in a relationship and you like give and take in that. What are you doing to foster that? I'm doing this. I'm doing, I'm, I'm getting coffee with friends and I'm talking about God. I'm, I'm taking those opportunities and meditating um, about what God might be having, might be doing in my life during that moment. I'm going to the Bible. I've taken up like writing every day in a journal, just like little tiny things. I'm, uh, looking for those opportunities to minister to people. It's just opening up and being vulnerable, right? Like, you know what's a really ballsy move is to be go up to God and be like, hey, God, the first, day, first thing in the morning, right? Be like, hey, God, use me in one way or another, right? Or like, give me the opportunity to minister to somebody or give me the opportunity to just realize something in a clear like way or something like that, right? Bring yourself to God every single day with an open heart and open hands being like, I'm here to be used by you. I'm not saying I'm good at this at all, not at all, but that's what I'm striving to do. I'm striving to make it a passion. Kind of like blows my mind actually that we, we because this is actually technically a, real, a kind of a difficult question to answer, but if we simplify it and kind of look at it, and from other perspectives, the reality is we don't feel this burning fire within ourselves because God's not really our passion. Other things are our passion. Worldly things are our passion. So once we start making God our passion, then we'll have that fire. We won't have those Christian highs all the time. Like we talk about like people are like, man, I'm so tired of these Christian highs. Like I remember youth group, right? And they're like, I just came back from, what's that uh, Christian? Um, creation. Creation. Creation Fest. Fest. Uh, that's actually what I thought you said. I thought you said the first time. Um, oh no, we uh, school out in Nebraska. We don't know. No, that's not. That's not something we do. <laughs> so um, we will come back from Creation Fest. We're around this positive environment, and the reason why we get that spiritual high in the first place is because during that moment, for that one week time or the three day time, whatever, that is our main focus. Our main focus is worshiping God, having Christian fellowshipping. Christian fellowship, talking about God, listening to godly uh, to speakers talking about God, right? Praying, breaking bread together, having community. Guess what? You literally just removed all of those variables in your life that would distract you from God and just put it an emphasis on God. And that's and you like you found a temporary passion. So that's how you lose that that spiritual high. That's how you lose that fire within yourself. Dang, man. That was I felt like that was all right on. So it was, not to toot my own horn, but like, why? I don't know why it took me so long to realize that. So like what you're saying is like after people like watch Fast and Furious, they're like, man, I'm a car person now. Yeah. They're like, oh, I go to Creation Fest. Like, man, I'm a God person now. And then it goes away because they find another interest. I so agree with you. I so agree. I feel like. I should be a pastor. I, I, I'm I, getting too prideful. Like right now, I'm too prideful. Okay, sorry. I, Anyways, let's let the I'm gonna pastor g- talk. But I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give. I agree with you 100%. I'm going to give you pushback. Um, 
uh, out, of, out of respect. All right, and let's fight. The reason, the reason I'm going to give you pushback is because I don't know why I'm in this this season of my life where I am trying to deal with Christianity in a... I'm trying to get away from swaying to the two ends of Christianity. I feel like for a long... I've been living it. I've been either living the antinomianism life or the legalistic life. I've been either... I can't... It's, it's bringing Christianity to the joy of Christ. To, to just... To bring to bring this thing into perspective of being in the joy of Christ. And what does that look like? And so... Yes, I'm going to agree with Jeremiah. And I'm going to say, yes, you are correct. You're correct in the sense of that, that we as believers should set our passions on Jesus Christ. And when we go to these concerts and stuff, we get this this spiritual high that's out of this world. And we come back and we, we, we kind of distract ourselves from all other things and to get onto a spiritual high. Here's where I'm going to disagree with you, though. It seems like Jacob in the Old Testament did the exact same thing. He pushes away his wives, his concubines, he pushes away his family, and he goes and he wrestles with God. He goes to get under a spiritual high, and he didn't. He did not let God go. He, I'm gonna push. I'm gonna fight. I'm gonna give it my all to fight for what I believe. Right? I want to get a blessing from God. I want to hold on. I mean, God made it hard for him. God even. Tested his faith in Jacob. Are you going to continue to hold on to me? Are you going to really test me? I mean, are you going to really sorry? Are you going to really um trust me? He broke the hip bone of Jacob. Jacob didn't let go. And what is, what happened? He changed his name and said he fit with God. Now the thing is, where I see where you disagree is why doesn't that perseverance continue? Because testing of the faith brings forth perseverance. James one. It says that if we uh, tested in our faith and we come to the end of that we should persevere through that so after we already wrestle with God per se and we go through this hard time we should persevere we should see a, a act of reading our Bible more we should see a something called sanctification uh, a act that our, our 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 walk with Christ grows stronger towards glorification and be with him so here's the deal the question we have to ask then why is it that people get this high and they could stir this thing up and I think it goes back to that, that prayer. You know, anybody at a time, come up to the altar and say the prayer. People get, I, I could preach a sermon. I'm being honest, this is probably, this is going to be actually worse. I'm going to dog myself, actually. But I believe that I could preach a sermon that could be very enticing. That I could preach a sermon that could be very scary. You will go to hell. You better listen to me. You better, you, uh, you don't believe in Jesus Christ, you're going to burn for days. And it will convince, it will scare the day living lights out of people. Look and into the coals of the I fire. Know, exactly. Hell is <laughs> And we said in the last podcast, right, Jeremiah, Jeremiah would be mad at me because I said that. But that's his line, you know. Look into the fire. See how hard it is. Hell is way more harder. I could preach a sermon like that. I could be all hell and brimstones. I mean, I believe that God will pour his wrath out on you and he will come and he will destroy the wicked. I mean, you can see how my mind, I mean, God is going to go crazy on the wicked. He's going to pour righteous wrath on people that don't serve him. He's going to do that. I could do that. But I also could preach a sermon and say this. I could tell you the truth about your life. And I think this would back up with, and this is where probably me and Jeremiah would go ahead and agree. The truth about your life is you have passions and desires that are stronger than God. And you are you are giving yourself you're giving yourself to those passions. You're selling yourself short to your the passion and desires. You you you, you <laughs> quick pause. We have passions that are stronger than God. We shouldn't. 
passions that are He'd stronger you than God or stronger passions than that yeah. we oh, have for passions okay, okay. Just clarifying, God. you don't mean that they're stronger than or God. Passions. No. We allow them we to allow take them the to place. Be. Yeah, we allow them to take okay. place. We allow them to be idols in our lives. And so we don't have the same passion. And so what happens is after those retreats and after those things, we allow those same things to seep back in. We don't follow up with discipleship. We don't have a big experience at camp. We talk to our friends and our friends leave us right there at camp. Everything that happened at camp, at these retreats, at these different things, stays there. And that's why. We, so when, 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 when we are at a retreat and Jeremiah confess a big thing to me, right? Oh, I confess a big thing to Jeremiah. Jeremiah, as a believer in Christ and in fellowship, was supposed to follow up. You're supposed to walk this walk with your brother. We don't do that. It stays at camp. It leaves that. And what happens? It starts to seep back in. The same sin. We don't press into the sin anymore. We just allow it to be. What can we do to stop that from happening? Continuing to press into people. The thing is, like I was saying, we leave these things at camp. We leave these, we leave these like 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 these these different things that's happening at, at like when people come to Christ or when people do all these different things. It's it's hearing the cry of your believing brother and be in community with them man do not just let that thing sit and that's what happens right that we have this spiritual high we have this thing going on we have the big the big come to jesus moment i mean god i was a i was a believer with you but i am re re rededicating my life i'm giving my all at this camp god i've seen you at work in this camp i've seen your glory god i've seen your praises god i i, I just i just want to do that again and then we'll be, our next response after we confess to God what's going on is to go to our brother. Say, brother, this is what happened to me, this. And then what my brother's supposed to do is continue. How, how are you doing now? How you, look at me in the next week. Let's get coffee. Let's go out. But we don't do that, right? Everybody's high stays at camp. Johnny, I'm going to ask you right now, who were you planning to talk to after, after your retreat about what they told you at camp? Be honest. Your you during this podcast. Exactly. No one else. And I, I wasn't the one that confessed to you some big things. After people have a spiritual high, we're talking about the believer. After they have their spiritual high, we don't care. It's like we glorify that one moment and then we move on. We don't continue to disciple and be in community. What I've learned, man, I grew a lot in my faith after community. After I actually could sit down and read a book with somebody. Confess to somebody. Be open and on. Like, man, I'm struggling with this. Man, I have an issue right now with greed, and I need you to help me. I I want it all. I want I want the big things. I want the fame. I want the money. Help me, bro. Like, pray for me. And that's what it is. We don't do that though. We we you know what they want. They would want the opposite. I go to camp. I go to a retreat. I go to a, a a conference. I have a spiritual high. I feel convicted to read my Bible, and no one comes and asks me, "Am I in my word?" Because I feel like we are on. In my let me let me answer for me. I'm too up in my in my own business. I all care about myself, and I can be very selfish and not caring about my brother who just told me the Lord told him that he should be in his word more. And that's bad for me personally. I can't answer for you guys, but that's what happens for me. I get into a selfish mode where it's all about, I have to get my work done. Or I need to make sure the worship service is planned. Or I need to make sure this media stuff is done. Or, you know, I get caught up in my own self and not, I'm not even care about my Christian brother. And the Christian walk is not supposed to be walked alone. And that's why I love life groups, especially since they've, they've kind but of turned open, from... But open life groups. Like yes. Where, where I can actually have intentional talks. Exactly. That's what I love talking about you know, checking up on each other, like right off the bat. So how are you guys have weeks gone? That's the first thing. I mean, I, I would hope that every 
every community does that at least every once in a while, but we do it every week. And, and that's usually how we start is, Hey, how, how is your week? How are you doing? What's, what's going on in your life? How is you? Um, and I, I love the fact that, that it's transitioned from Bible study to life groups because it's not, it's not just studying the Bible. It's you're doing life with these people. And I love, I love what you said about, um, the importance of that community and, and being up in community and, I love the fact that um, I mean I'm I'm in. If you want to count this podcast and and then coffee in the morning as as another life group, I would because we do life together and we talk about it and we have good fellowship and uh, I love it so much that I'm in three. <laughs> I'm in three life groups, and that's not that's not because one isn't sufficient. It's because they're different groups of people that I just love doing life with. And they each offer different kinds of encouragement. And I'm not, I'm not saying one's greater than the other. They're all fantastic and they'll all get me through the week, but it's so awesome to be in that constant community. Exactly. And I, I agree with you, Chance. And, and so I just, I'm glad you said that. I'm glad you shared your, your view on life groups. And I hope I'll, I'll view, I a hundred percent agree. I, I wish I had more all male, a small knit community, and I think that's kind of what me, me, you, Jeremiah, me, Johnny, Jeremiah, kind of do. We talk about like, hopefully, and I, I hope it grows even more to talk about just the, the in depth stuff about life, the deep things about like deep struggles about life. Yeah, and that's that's what I love about my three different groups is exactly. because it's three different demographics. Like exactly. here, it's a men's group, it's a millennial men's group. In one of my other ones, it's a young adults group, but it also has women. Also, shout out to Lizzie Unterbrink, A plus human being, helped me prepare a little bit tonight uh, for for this podcast. Um, but I also have, um, well, had now I teach Jasmine in the morning, but Friday mornings at six thirty, I'm in with a bunch of elders in the church, and it's all men, and it's it's cool to have that example of you know what to potentially aspire to be, you know, minus all of the medical stories that they. Uh, share openly, yeah. which is, but it's, it's admirable how open they are and they give each other advice and they pat each other on the back, pick each other up when they're down and they, they keep them grounded when, you know, maybe they're floating a little too, too far away. Um, but it's, it's so good to have all of those different perspectives. So where this question came from, and you can kind of see it a little bit in their conversation is that there's two things that people do, right? They either go, they give you a basic answer of uh, read and pray, or you just have to wait for you just have to wait for God to convict you to save you from your sins. You just have to, just wait. And so many I've met a lot of Christians like this where they're just waiting for something, right? But it seems like the answer of what you guys are saying is community. As community is one part, one part, one, one part, part of it. Can I lay down some and like I challenge me if I'm wrong on this, right? Can I lay down some like super practical advice for this that you've all heard me say a million times? Um, if you've been in my small group, you've heard me say this because we always ask this question. All right, let's lay some practical advice here. Let me let me break it down here into two sections of practical advice here. All right, here's section number one. Section number one, if, if you feel like you're spiritually dead, but you're involved in the community, it's because you're a taker. You're a stagnated, you're a stagnant pawn. Basically, right, you have all of these people pouring into you. You have these pastors, you have these ministers, you have disciples, you have, not disciples, you, ha you have friends who are around you just pouring into you, right? 
but you're a stagnant pond. You have stagnated water and basically you grow and grow and grow, but the water that's being poured into you is eventually affected because it's not going anywhere. So you have no outflow. So you needed to develop a source of outflow. That means you need to take the things that are being poured into you and share that to other people. And it's this basic. You're like, okay, so at what point do I need to start pouring into other things? If you understand, and I feel like for me, right, this is the most fundamental thing that you need to understand to start pouring on people. You need to understand the love of Jesus Christ that he has showed to you on some sort of level. So if you feel like you have received salvation, right? If you have turned a new leaf, if you have come to Christ and you've experienced that love, right? That love of Jesus Christ dying on the cross for your sins, right? Then you can take that living water, right, and outpour it to other people. Johnny's question, right, how do you get rid of sin? And, and I just think that we, let's, let's go back, let's go back to the basics, man. I think we have to go back to the basics for this, because we could give all these practical things, we could give all these different things, and I said some things, Shan said some things, you said some things, Jeremiah. Your mom uh, said something. Yeah, your mom said something, your dad said some things, your grandmother said something, even your great-grand-aunt said some things. I get it. But let's go back to basics. Man, you can't get rid of sin without the gospel. So if you're not born again, forget it. Okay? Let's start off with that. If you're not a true believer, forget it. You cannot get rid of sin without being a true believer. I don't care who you are. So if you're not born again, let's start off with that. I'm not going to try to to go up to a person who is indulging in, a, in sexual immorality and who's not a believer and say, you need to get rid of your sexual morality. Actually, come to Christ first. Then he will change that. So let's start off with that. Getting rid of sin. First of all, you got to be born again. After you're born again, you are justified. Your sin is paid for and your sins have been atoned for. God, Jesus has died in the place of you. And God starts to see you as a righteous being through Jesus Christ, sin is paid for. Now you're talking about earthly sin. What this sin is, how we walk, how do we get rid of that? That's when I say it's it's through prayer, it's through reading our word, it's through community. But it's after, and it's guess what? It first starts off with what? Confession and repentance, man. Are you willing to tr be to truly repent of your sin and truly get away from your sin, or what do you? Or, or are you just fake repenting? And because it feels good in the moment. Are you, are you hyped up on a revival that is actually not a heart revival, but it's actually a firecracker revival or a firework revival? You know, it goes, pew, it blows and it's nothing. Pew, 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 pew. You know, you have this big, you have this big blow up. Like someone light, light, that, light a dynamite in your butt and then you just go, <laughs> boom. And then you get up to this whole thing and then you just uh, blow, it blows, explosion. I read my Bible 50 days and then never again. Because you probably had a fake conversion. That's why I don't believe in the prayer. I would say to the, the prayer, the, I, I, I want, when I tell people, when I lead people, explain it. What is the prayer? The prayer is that, that a prayer that when people come up and they're like, um, they just pray this prayer and they're, they're saved all of a sudden. They just become saved. They actually become, oh, like lovey dovey inside. I'm now a believer. I'm now with God. And then I kind of just like, mm. The prayer that when like, I when say I lead this people after me. Is, yeah, say this after me and that type of stuff. But when I lead people to Christ, what I say is, are you in your heart willing to make an intentional choice 
to follow Jesus for the rest of your life? That's the question I ask. Whoa. I act, I act big. Like if I have an altar call, I want like I would learn people from the community, ushers, deacons, deaconess, elders, pastors, whatever. Get down and oh, that sounds like a rap. <laughs> elders, <laughs> I want them to all come down into into the front and actually one on one talk to, to to a person. Person walks up to the altar. Chance, deaconess, deacon chart, deacon chance, deaconess chance, chance. I've been promoted. (laughs) From brother to deacon. For all the people who are not connected to that sector of the Christianity, you want to explain what a deacon is real quick? A deacon is just a person who kind of serves the church and is in in service of the church. Um, um, But anyway, you know, just like, uh, yeah, let's just say serve of the church. Let's just use that. Um, Chance goes out and he goes to the person, he will ask a question. You come to this altar. Do you want to make the intentional choice? To follow Jesus, to make Jesus your Lord and Savior, to be like him, to let him transform your life from the inside out for the rest of your life. And they say yes to that. Not to some prayer, but to say that I internally believe that the Holy Spirit is calling me into a relationship with the Godhead. That's what I want to hear. If I don't hear that, man, I could say 50 million prayers. Is when you know the Holy Spirit comes into your life, wrestles with your heart, turns you from night to day, man, and you feel that and know that is real. When I was converted in September 2013, there's nothing on God's green earth that can tell me different. The Holy Spirit, you you know what my biggest fear is. You know what keeps me holding on to my biggest to that my biggest fear, although it's a fear. I think it's a rational fear. What I believe true is because I know for a fact that when I had my conversion experience, that that could have only be God. If nothing else could, could have done that. Like nothing. Like I've been in church all my life, but it was nothing like that. And I, from that day on until now, all I've seen is growth. And that's how we know. We don't see God leaving a believer. We see him actually being with the believer and sanctifying the believer, bringing the believer. You look at a believer's life over the life of a span of 10 years, and you look over that 10 years, you see growth. That's how you know the difference. That's how you can see. And so you ask that believer, you ask that person who comes to that altar, are you ready? Are you, do you make you ready to make your calling and election sure? Are you ready to say that I, whoever, wants to follow Christ and be in a relationship and let him be the Lord of my life and praise him forever. That's what I look at. And so when I see a conversion like that, then what happens after that? You don't leave it alone. You disciple. You get into the nitty gritty of a life. You show this, you let them be a part of your life. You let them show that you're a messed up human being. You still sin. You still make mistakes, but you remind them of the gospel. Remind them what you come to, right? Remind them, remind them what they came to that altar for in the first place because Jesus paid for all of that. So no, they don't have to go on sinning anymore. They're not a slave to sin, but now what they are, a slave to righteousness. And so what happens is us, you know why we're convicted? Because we're not slaves to righteousness. <laughs> we now, are, that just blew my mind. Hold on, wait, whoa, listen to, why, why does every time we sin, we feel bad? It's because we're slaves to righteousness. <laughs> we literally have a, <laughs> do you know what it means to be a slave? <laughs> Dude, you have no choice in the matter anymore. Because you are a child of God, you have no choice. You you hate sin. Romans 6, since grace of man can be sin by no means. Why? 
do something. You've now died in Christ because Christ and you, Christ has died and you've died in him. Seems like Romans 6 is telling us. And now you can fight sin. You have the ability and power. You're now a slave to God's righteousness. All you want is holiness. All you want is you want to see God glorified. You want to give him worship. And that's how you get rid of sin. How you get rid of sin? Be born again. That's my answer. I was thinking about that the other day. The idea of... <laughs> Johnny, Johnny put 12 out of 10 answer for Devante. Um, the idea of why is like dedicating your life to God become like one of the hardest things ever? And why is it like extremely, I personally hold the belief, right? That the only way you can lose salvation is if, and this is like one in a trillion, is if you decided to purposely acknowledge God and then hate his guts and then just hate him. And then, and at that point, that's the only way you can lose salvation. It's debated. You may disagree with me. Some people believe you can lose salvation. Some people believe you cannot lose salvation once you've truly been saved. Like the idea of like, well, did you lose? Were you, were you actually saved if you lost your salvation? And the idea is like, it's kind of funny. Like I was thinking about this, like no matter how far I step away from God, right? God will always bring me back. Like no matter what. So it's like once you make that commitment, you're not going anywhere. Okay. He'll eventually get you. The coolest part about that is no matter how far you do stray, God is always chasing after you. He is breaking down walls. He's moving mountains for you. And if you feel like, man, I'm such a horrible person. People judge me. People point fingers. Yeah, people are going to do that. But you know who doesn't do that? Jesus Christ. Amen. He died for you and for all of the things that you're going through, that you'll ever go through, and that everybody's gone through. And if they turn to repentance, guess what, Chance? Guess what, Johnny? They just got rid of sin. Mm-hmm. It was paid for on that cross, man. That Chance is saying is perfect. And exactly. we, want, we want you, the listener, to experience that. So if... I've I've never asked somebody, hey, if you're if you're ready to maybe give this thing a shot, you know, maybe God wants to hear from you. If you're ready to make that intentional choice, if you even listen, this, here's the deal how salvation works. Even if you're listening to this podcast, and in your heart, you said that I hear from this podcast, I I hear, I realize how sinful my own life is. And you realize and you, and you feel a tug on your heart. The Holy Spirit is leading towards the relationship. You right now could do it. And I would say if that happens, find a church. Go and tell someone. Say, I believe that I've given my life to Jesus Christ. I be- Go and find a community where you can grow in him. That's what, that's, what, that's what this is all about. Run and tell somebody. It doesn't have to be this, this super organic thing. There's no prerequisite to the gospel. You don't have to get your life together before you come to Christ. No, come to Christ and he'll get your life together. That's how it works, okay? This is how this whole Christian thing works. So as Chance is opening up the invitation, I would, I would even call it an invitation to the gospel. Like, that's what I felt was happening. I feel like you were opening up an invitation to the gospel. So if anybody was listening, and hear what Chance said, that, that Jesus paid for that. Paid for your sins, First John 2 tells us, and even the sins of the whole world. If you believe that in your heart, so you believe in your heart first and then confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, then you will be saved. Could you have a conversion experience and then after that have nothing change? Because it sounds like you can't. 
You cannot no. you cannot enter the realm of one which you believe in God and you become a slave to God's will and then be like, no, it's the same. By definition, you cannot. Like you, <laughs> it's impossible. That's what the word I would say conversion that, I would means. Say, I would say that it, it is impossible for you to have a conversion experience and stay the same. Why? Because it is God, Philippians 2, at work in you. It is God at work. It, you, as much as we can boast... In our, we can boast as much as we want in our salvation. We can boast as much. It doesn't matter. It's not for us. First of all, we're not saved by any of our works. It wasn't because I, I chose to believe in Christ and the work of choosing. You know what I think about that? Because if God didn't regenerate my heart, it was going to be no choosing from Devante's side anyway. If God didn't step in and bring me towards repentance, it was going to be no repentance from Devante anyway. It was going to never be me. But God had to step in and give faith. I was dead in my trespasses of sin. But God... So in his, you see what it's this whole thing? God is the one in all of his riches and mercy that comes in, steps into the place and does what he has to do. And guess what? That's the good part about our faith, the Christian faith, is that God doesn't leave us. He doesn't say, okay, I'm saved you. I'm out. Peace. I did my part. No, he says, I save you. And I continue to sanctify you, and I adopt you into the family. And I'm not saying this in order. So I know you scholars who might listen to this, like, don't beat me up. I know I'm not. I'm talking. I'm not saying the right order of salvation, but I don't care. This is, this is what I'm saying is God. <laughs> God, He justifies you, He saves you, and He sanctifies you. He adopts you into the family. You know, he, all these things are happening. You're now a part of the family of God. So not only do you, you not only do you call Him Lord, but you call Him Father. You call Him friend, man. Like. We have so much, it's a relationship aspects that goes along with this. It's like talking to you, like fall in love with Jesus. It's an old gospel song that says falling in love with Jesus. It's the greatest, thing, the greatest thing I've ever done. I pray people don't come to Christianity with the wrong reasons because that, we talked a little bit in my small group tonight about happiness and what does happiness look like. And um, I was trying to like help them, at least in my personal view, just like balance the weight of happiness. Like God is okay with happiness. You know, that shouldn't be our ultimate goal. We shouldn't go into it looking for happiness. But happiness is produced inside this. It's a byproduct. Of yeah, you, get, you, could, you could be happy. Sometimes you're not always happy. You're not always, you know, but joyful at times. You're not but always, don't search out the byproduct. Yeah, don't, yeah, exactly. And so as we talk about sin, I think we, we probably the next podcast should be a part two to sin because I see you have more questions. So we could do it a little bit more. We could go into other questions. So now we understand being born again is where this first thing starts from. Being a new believer, being in Christ, being justified. And I think we could talk about, we could, now we could talk about how does it look, how do we deal with temptations? What does it look like to be sanctified? What does it look like to wrestle with sin? Paul talks about, I don't understand, I think this, this is my favorite verse of the Bible, right? Romans 7, 15. I don't understand my actions. I don't do what I want to do, but I do the exact thing that I hate. He talks about it. It's just the sin that dwells inside of him that's caused him to do these things. And we talked a little bit about, like, now we can get into the nitty gritty of that. Because if you're not a believer, man, that all that stuff don't matter. Because you don't know God, and you know how big I am on that. If you don't know God, then it was pointless. That's it. That's the gospel right there. That's the good news that we as Christians are called to go beyond our Christian camps and our conferences to tell you about. Yeah. This is your invitation. It's that easy. We want you guys to know God. We are just extending the hand that's already been extended. Again, if you if you feel like, you know, this was convicting, if you want to pray to maybe accept some change and accept Jesus 
into your life, into your world, we totally invite you to do that. If you know someone who could, you know, use this message, please share this podcast with them. And it sounds like we will go into more detail next time. Yeah, this is the Good Media Podcast. That's all for this week. We'll be back next week. If you have any comments or questions, shoot us a message. If you're on Anchor, you can leave us a voicemail. We've got our, our email down in the description of this. If you have any questions or comments or ways we can improve or things you thought that were interesting that we said, shoot us a message. Like, subscribe if you can, and have a good week. Bye. Cool.